Hello and welcome back to Level Zero Literacy. I'm Mason and I'm so happy you've chosen to listen to us today. This week, we're going to be discussing Pentiment, a game that Sam was incredibly excited for. We're going to spoil the game beginning to end throughout the episode, and we're going to be discussing topics that include, but are not limited to, murder, poverty, rape, and tons of other things. Please use your best judgment before proceeding. Enjoy! Hello everyone, and welcome back to Level Zero Literacy, this week we are talking about Pentiment, a role-playing game made by Obsidian Entertainment, who you may know for Fallout New Vegas. It was written and directed by Josh Sawyer and was released on November 15th, 2022. Sawyer said he had inspiration from historical fiction game Darklands, a 1992 role-playing game that was a mix of middle-aged styling and supernatural themes. For most of the story, you play as Andreas Mahler, an artist working as an illuminator at the Kursau Abbey, a large abbey in an upper Bavarian town known as Tassing. You find your life suddenly uprooted as Baron Lorenz Rothervogel is suddenly murdered, seemingly by your close personal friend and mentor, Brother Piero. In Act 1, you must race against the clock to find the true culprit so that Piero's life may be saved and things sort of devolve from there. Themes for this game include historical revisionism, art, religion, specifically Catholicism and the people that it affected, and class warfare. How'd you guys find Pentiment? It's it's a lovely game. No two ways around it. And I'm saying this as someone who there's a lot of things going into Pentiment that would be things that would normally make me bounce off. The art style was not my favorite. The mechanics seemed a little weird to me at first, but... Once you get past those things and really dig in, there's so much to love about the game. The writing is top-notch. The visual design, even though I personally am not a fan, undeniably is like so lovingly crafted and, and so detailed in so many wonderful ways. The sound is fantastic. The musical choices are great. And it all sort of comes together in such a beautiful way in the game and it's it's i think everyone should play this game especially if you loved disco elysium if you loved yakuza like a, a couple of the other titles we've covered previously this is a great game for folks who are fans of those types of titles i think for a lot of people the art style is a turnoff but for me i think it really does a good job of playing into the story of the themes of art and I really like the very small attention to detail things that like as characters get older, their art style changes and, you know, parts of them start to like white out because they're like they would get kind of worn down with time and the styles of characters might change depending on where they're from. So, for example, there's a brother in the Abbey who is Ethiopian and his style compared his artistic style his appearance is completely different from the rest of the monks in the abbey and like i love the little attention to details for stuff like that yeah i i personally love the art style it was probably my favorite thing about the game very specifically i i have changed my mind about what i want my moment to be but there was a point 
where my moment was going to be when I realized what was going on with how the dialogue is presented. Oh, yeah. It's uh, so cool. <laughs> because I played the game for a long time and didn't notice. And then it clicked for me, and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> to kind of explain what Buck is talking about, essentially the way the dialogue is presented in this game is that when you boot up the game, it's like you can use the kind of developer intended scripts or the easier to read scripts fonts and we let's let's be specific here fonts fonts and highly highly recommend if you're able to read them the developer curated fonts because essentially what happens is you are perceiving the world as andrea smaller in a lot of games the character is kind of sculpted by you and your decisions. But in Pentiment, Andreas Mahler is kind of his own character. And rather than dictating everything he does, you're more of like a guiding force taking him through his life and his decisions. And so as part of this, as an extension of this, the script, the font that you see people talk in is based off of how Andreas perceives people. And it's so good. People will literally change their font mid-conversation as Andreas learns new details about them. And it's so smart. Like, So for example, um, one of Andreas's close friends is Klaus, who is a printmaker. So Klaus's font is literally, you see the words getting block printed across the screen and then it gets pressed into his text box, and that's how his font appears. And there's a character you meet later on in the game who has a different font from that, and then he learns that that person is a printmaker, and they and the next text box, it switches over to the printmaker font. And it's so, so cool to see how that's implemented. It's wonderful. It's, I had never... It's the first time I've seen this feature in a game. First off, where there's different fonts, like consistently in a non-gimmicky way throughout the game to represent different traits of people. And then it can be dynamic based on if you learn someone is educated, that they go from the illiterate peasant font to the literate educated guy font. And so, in fact, the very first time someone's font switches is uh, there's a shepherd who's watching over his flock in a field that you're passed by from while you're on your way from Tassing to the Abbey and you're talking to him and you, he has the peasant font and he's like, yeah, I actually spend a lot, spend a lot of my time reading the books from the library up in the Abbey. And then it switches him to like the scholarly literate font. It's like, well, you kind of, I kind of, the first time it happened, I was like, huh, that's interesting. But as you kind of like learn and it develops the characters out in a way that feels really special and in a way that is really intuitive to where you don't have to spend a lot of time piecing together what's going on you just like the the fancier upper class people have fancier fonts the lower class peasants have uh like a brutish looking font and you know you see someone's font change and it's it it's all you know in in some of the situations it kind of clicks immediately like oh you know M- Mahler's perception of them 
of like kind of what what class they fall into just shifted and and what he what he's hearing from them changed because it's it's not just what font they speak in right it's what it's what andreas is hearing from them so it's it's kind of filtering through andreas's brain and it's great how that ties into this whole one of this overarching themes of class warfare because perception really like is a big thing when it comes to the divisions of tassing so essentially the way that the government works in tassing is that the abbey whoever is the whoever is the abbot of the abbey essentially gets to set all the laws and taxes for the town below it and as a result of this you know the peasants have very swaying opinions on the church and it's really interesting to see how that plays out over the course of the story because essentially there is father Grenot Grenot one of those who is the current abbot of the Kearsau Abbey who is hated the peasants feel that he treats the town very unfairly he they feel as if he's more dictatorial and eventually you do see Gerdo take away a lot of the rights of the peasants as far as the ability to use the lands that's surrounding them and the ability to visit a shrine that is a part of the abbey compared to what you hear about father Matthias who was the abbot before Gerdo who is considered a very loving character a very loving a very loved leader of the community so it does a really good job of giving you sort of a, a microdose of this feudalist system. What I like the most about the relationship between the characters in the Abbey and the townsfolk and the Abbey as sort of like an institution that affects the townsfolk is that opinion can be split. There's a lot of different variety of what people think about the Abbey and it's it fluctuates based on the time and the circumstances that people fall under and it fluctuates based on character choices that you make as the player. For instance, the miller in town is doing very well for himself financially. So when the abbot and and he's a foreigner and his wife is a foreigner. So when the abbot brings down all these taxes and starts attacking sort of cultural the cultural ways of the townsfolk the miller is not understanding he'll be like well why don't you guys like settle down well so like i guess a question about a perception i had for y'all is so i didn't understand the exact verbiage of when people say I should have joined the peasants because when they say it like that it seems to me that they don't think they're peasants but I don't know if I'm misperceiving that or not so it's interesting I think they kind of break it down I think the idea is that the town is kind of broken down into a traditional feudal system but instead of there being a prince, a traditional like monarchical figure, like a lord. Yeah, lord. That's just 
whoever is in charge of the abbey. But there's still the merchant classes, which is, you know, the blacksmith, the stonemason, the bakers, the doctor. So there is like, they're a class above. And then the peasants, in my understanding, are mostly the farmers. And then Smokey and the people that live in the woods, essentially. Which I think is really interesting because that I can see why they think that distinction exists. Yeah. But it's not like a real distinction. Yeah. It- <laughs> yes, you're exactly right. There, the, when the, oh, what was he? Was he a duke? Baron? Yeah, when the Baron comes down during the second act and starts slaughtering the townsfolk the prince bishop or the yeah the prince bishop right when he comes down and starts slaughtering town folk he's not making the distinction between merchants and peasants he's he sees you know he nearly kills the doctor right they can't talk him down people die who were who were tradespeople people die who were farmers you know with the for the people in power there's no there's no middle cast. Mm-hmm. You're, I, yeah, you're exactly right about that, Buck. <laughs> Very a, topical. A, yeah, it's such a wonderful <laughs> depiction, right? Like they did such a great job that there's even a perception among the lower class. There's like classism among the the lower class within each other it's for all, the more well-off peasants. It's really well portrayed. So the events that sort of lead up to this, you know, how do we get to the Peasants' Revolt? So in Act 1, essentially, as we said, the Baron, very important political figure in the area, gets murdered. You solve his murder. And I think one of the key things about this game is the time crunch. This is not a game that gives you time to actually explore your options and kind of actually figure out what's going on. It's like, hey, judgment is coming in two days. If you don't have a good case as to why someone else did this murder, Piero's going to die. So really, you're encouraged to kind of take one plot thread and follow it all the way down. Because if you don't, then you didn't do a good job as an investigator. And so... I think it's really interesting to see what players take as, well, this is the lead that I should be following. Because the idea is there's, you know, four characters essentially in Act 1 that you can find motive, like pretty solid motives for, but you as a player have to be like, but this is the person I think makes the most sense to have done the deed. That's why, like... I think that murder mystery is not a good description of this game, despite the fact that you are acting as a detective and there has been a murder. The trappings of the normal murder mystery genre aren't there because the axe is coming down on someone's neck. You can just push it towards someone's neck. It's not, you're not there to necessarily find justice you're not there to find the right solution you're there to try your best to to get the best outcome 
you're effectively going on your own witch hunt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> that is effectively what these are, is witch trials without the whole uh, magic thing. Is well, this... some of them with magic. Uh, one of well, them with yeah, magic. One of them with magic, I guess. <laughs> so you, I know you both picked Prior Ferenc as your act one person of choice. Mason, you didn't actually get all the way through his investigation. Buck, did you manage to get to the end of the investigation? Did you actually dig up the grave and uh, get to the bottom of things? No. The, I, so I was surprised what I did worked because I did mix it up a little bit before I realized I didn't have time to do that. Right. So I found the Latin that I couldn't read because I chose not to pick Latin. I heard that he was doing blood magic in the woods. I found a note, and I started-ish to get a little bit more in the weeds, and then the deadline came up. It, like, And that was the things that I did with Ferenc. I also, like, is the first act where you sit in on the knitting circle? Yes. Yes. It is. Yeah. And so, like, I did, I spent some time with Widow Kemperin and listening to the knitting circle and i can't i can't remember exactly what else all i did but i was trying i was trying to balance things but i mainly focused on ferenc and uh ferenc is the person who i had the best evidence on and the game does a very good job of saying be careful there's a character i think who is it that tells you you need to watch who you say it's Vojtilov, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Because he's in love with the sister who could could have possibly yeah. done there, it. Well, um, so there, essentially, there's a, one of the sisters was sexually assaulted by Baron Rothvogel in one of his previous visits, and you know, obviously, clear motive to murder somebody. For being honest, um, and Vojtilov, who is in love or has an affectionate relationship with that sister. And then in act three, essentially they end up together is like, Hey, you know, you need to be aware that whatever you tell the quote unquote judge, it will have consequences. Yeah. And you know, anyone, anyone whose name you put out will be implicated. Yeah. And the, the people that the game actually gave me an option to say were I think, I can't remember if it was going to let me say Martin because I really didn't look into Martin much because I just Martin's thought... Act 2. Martin's Act 2. Um, you can do Ferenc, Lucky, or the, the Widow. S- or the Sister. Or the, or sister. the sister, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, because you can't really look into Martin because he ran away. Yeah, he's, he's skipped uh, town. So I didn't want to say the Widow or... Um, I think it might have given me the option for the sister. So I, I just said Ferenc and hoped that it stuck. I think the very interesting thing is really Ferenc, I feel like, is the only person who you feel as a player you can implicate without there being, I don't want to say guilt, but like, he, all of the he other. He treats all, you like a piece of shit. He does. He treats you Ferenc he treats, treats you, you badly. Poorly. And all the townsfolk are 
like they have reasons and the sister has a reason, but you know, their stories are so their lives have been so made so significantly worse by the Baron. And it's, you know, your implication of them might not even resolve anything. You know, there's for all these people, for the three people, for the sister and the two townsfolk, there's motive, but there's not really a way, a means, you know, of doing it. For Ferenc, there's less of a motive, but there's more means. So it's really interesting for how the game kind of presents these different options for you to explore as far as these other suspects. It, it almost makes me wonder if the developer intends for you or expects most players to go after Ferenc only for there to be a reveal later that this person that you had a good gut feeling about because he treated you like shit and he had a motive and opportunity. Well, he wasn't the murderer. You screwed up. He may have been a bad person, but you got him killed in a brutal painful way for nothing he well did, he d- didn't do so it. so here uh, i'm gonna push back on that you don't know who do the you don't know who does this murder We'll we'll get to that we're gonna talk about that we're gonna talk about that i yeah because no, I, I i, I feel think like i learned who did i it. think it's i think it's a little open-ended but i'm interested in hearing why why you think you, you did. we'll, we'll mean, get it's possible i didn't investigate anything enough we'll get to that i got i i thought it was lucky i thought lucky had the most motivation to do it and had the best means because he's a stonemason he's a strong guy it would be easy for him to like do the deed and you learn during your autopsy of the body that he was he basically has head bashed in with some blunt object i was like okay well stonemason's gonna have like rocks and stuff so that made the most sense to me um and so then, essentially, after you solve the murder, quote unquote, solve, you roll into Act Two, which takes place many years later. Seventeen, right? Yeah. Or eighteen? And you go from twenty to thirty-eight. Yeah. No, no, eight years. Eight years. You go from. You go from. Yeah, it's eight years later. Many years later, and you know, in these times, because people age very quickly, you return. Andreas has an apprentice. He has become a successful artist, quote unquote. And now, essentially, the peasants of the town have gotten restless. Otto, who is essentially leading a charge against the church, believes he has received a blessing from God, also gets murdered. And now you find yourself having to investigate another crime. So, quick question about your end of Act 1, since you accused Lucky. Yeah. Did you get banished from the Abbey? Yes. But that was because I was a huge piece to Father Gonneau. Ah, uh, okay. If you're just okay. if you're just a, if you're just really mean to Father Gonneau and essentially dismiss his behavior because, you know, he's a huge piece regardless. So, you know, I I was just kind of rude to him anyways. That ends up getting you tossed out. I think to stay in good graces with the Abbey, you have to, like, stay very strict to I looked through the, the achievement beliefs. list. 
and they're separate achievements from which act one ending you get to finishing the act in the good or bad graces of Father Gernot. Yeah, that's why I asked. So, but I, I mean, I have to imagine there's no way to kill Ferenc. And, and, be, and be in the good graces. Yeah, I have to imagine. I, 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 I was. Well, that's why I was asking since yeah. he said lucky. Partially because one of the things you eventually do is exhume a grave, which yeah. is probably not. And it's exhume the grave of one of the brothers of the Abbey, which is you know probably not something that's gonna be fondly looked upon. So, but yeah. So who who did you guys? So I know Mason, you pinned Hannah in Act Two. And Buck, you pinned Guy, which is who I pinned. Not, none of us picked Martin. Well, I Mar- know- Martin. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, I just don't remember anything from my childhood. It's all fuzzy. Yeah. It's it, so long ago. Ugh. It's really interesting. I, I love how there's never really an explanation. And none of us went down Martin's path, though. None of us can, like, explain what's going on with this story but it's super interesting how dr Werner is just like yeah i think martin might be a different person yeah that guy just this guy just like showed up and took his place in town one day (laughs) is that's that was such a funny little twist that was not really material to the story in any way unless you want to pin martin but I thought that was so cool. You basically just pin him for being a body double and like having this book. That I, I but I didn't get on that path. I didn't either. I I, I went with. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I I felt bad for his wife, which is why I wasn't even gonna look that hard into it. Yeah, she she clearly wasn't living too happy a life. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's just another class warfare thing, right? Because in each of these acts, you end up, you kind of have like a peasant you can pin, a merchant class you can pin, Mm -hmm. and then a member of the ruling class, you know, any of the brothers or the abbots or whatever who you can pin. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that that hard. That's actually really interesting. Yeah, because in act two, it's Martin, who is a peasant, Hannah, who is a merchant, part of the merchant class, and... Brother Guy, who's part of the ruling class. And in Act 1, it's Lucky, who's part of the merchant class. Pryor, who's part of the ruling class. The sister, kind of a middle ground, because the sisters aren't really as strongly in charge as the brothers are. They, they reap the benefits they of the They reap Abbey. the benefits, but the they have less of like a, a say, I guess. Yeah, true, true. And then the old widower... Who lives in the woods is a Barnhart. Yeah. So it's like interesting, right? That they're in each of these acts there's like a structural difference of the classes of people you can accuse. I think it's one of the funniest things was I picked Hannah and Ferenc because or oh, sorry. No, it, yeah, Ferenc. Yeah, Ferenc in Act One. Hannah and Ferenc. I wanted to pick people who were aligned with the church or close to people who are aligned with the church. And and you can confirm this. I kept saying throughout my entire playthrough, it's really suspicious that all these people who keep dying are enemies of the church. Yeah. You did <laughs> say like, that a lot. It's I had like a really good idea going into the late game, like a narrow list of suspects 
who I thought actually did it because just like looking at motivations that tie things together and it's very clear that they're tied together through the purple notes, right? I was like, okay, this is clearly someone in the church because this is two people who the church like hates. There's two people the church would rather have dead ended up. So it's someone close to or within the Abbey. So uh, something relevant to mention to folks, if you don't know, Baron Rothvogel in Act 1 comes into town and is like, hey, have y'all read Martin Luther? I love yeah. Martin Luther. <laughs> this stuff's great. Also, I have this book full of witchcraft. <laughs> I got a witchcraft book and I love Martin Luther. <laughs> And then he dies. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go turn my back to the camera. Ooh, I'm so stabbable. And to be fair, it's not a book of witchcraft. It's a book on the history of Tassing, which we'll get why we'll yeah. get into why that's important it's just, in, in a bit here. He made himself as murderable as possible. Oh yeah. <laughs> he did not have any friends. I don't like yeah. to use the phrase asking for it. <laughs> but I mean, and the more you learn the more you learn about Baron Rothvogel, he is like, yeah, that guy probably deserved to yeah, die. Yeah, he was. A he piece should of probably shit. be dead. I really tried hard to seduce his wife. <laughs> I don't think I was much better. <laughs> she was grieving. Jeez. So I essentially, was... um, after you pick whoever you feel committed the murder, the peasants take action against that person have a riot have a revolt burn down the windmill and linhart who owns the windmill ends up shooting one of the peasants oh it's not always peter can it be someone else well peter doesn't get shot or no yeah he shoots peter's friend and then yeah and then peter's like all right we're burning your we're burning everything down and then they storm the abbey and burn down the library, which ends up causing the entire abbey to catch fire. The guard of the prince baron or the prince bishop show up, slaughter a bunch of the townsfolk, and then that's the end of Act Two, and we move into Act Three. Now, can I pause right here to just say how believable? Peter's actions are in it's this so good Peter is a character in act two is just He's wonderful it's so well written he the and the the through line narratively from act one is so masterfully written because it's gripes and then it's eight years of gripes and then you know you feel um the the bale of straw on the camel's back right and then the 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 word comes down like, all right, you can't, you guys can't use the forest for firewood anymore, and and something snaps in him. Right? There's only so much a man can take. Right? That kind of that kind of thing. Yeah, it's and, so good. And then you know the peasants trying to get justice, and then it's the bread maker who's shot. Right? Is it always the bread maker? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. it was for me. And the bread maker gets shot, protecting Peter effectively. Peter burns down the sawmill to get justice on whoever, or not sawmill, sorry. The windmill. It's, it's a windmill. Yeah. Um, to get justice on whoever you accuse. And then they go to the Abbey and you, like, 
Peter is just right. It doesn't matter that they got justice for this murder. Yeah. Nothing's going to change. To change. Yeah. It's it's awesome. <laughs> it's great. It's Peter per- it's, it's did perfect. Nothing wrong. <laughs> he did nothing. He may have he may have collected a mob up to enact mob justice on someone who didn't do a murder. We're going to look past that, all right? All the things he said were right. Yeah. What <laughs> it's it's great because like it's not played as angry he's not angry in that moment he has clarity like his his actions are spoken through clarity you know he's he's very straight face he's straight laced he walks into the library he's walks back out he's just like nothing you know it doesn't matter nothing's ever gonna change i think it's also a beautiful continuation of things in Act One, that at the beginning of Act Two, you realize that what you did in Act One was for nothing, right? You got someone killed in vain. You were not, you did not serve justice. And then this, you have to do it all over again, except this time, the person, the, the executioner, right, the mob, they can't be reasoned with. And it's literally mob justice. It's a, like it's you they make it so apparent over the course of the story that justice isn't happening. That it's all unfortunate and and what's the word? Ugly and unfortunate circumstance, you know? It's just people being in the wrong place in the wrong time and these tensions between these people breaking and having horrible consequences. So as you move into Act 3, you find yourself controlling Magdalene because at the end of Act 2, Andreas Mahler dies, in quotes. For Yeah, I was about to say, for listeners, Sam did air quotes. Yeah. You play as Magdalene, whose traits have actually been influenced by a book that you give to her in act two, which is awesome. So cool. Oh yeah. And then Mag, this is where things start to slow down a little bit. Whereas in act two, one and two, you're very pressed for time and act three, you're actually allowed to explore and learn. And that's like the really cool difference in this game is like, now it's time to actually unravel all those things that you had to look past in act one and two. We're going to like force you to now reconcile with the things that have happened. It did it did not help me at all yeah. that I had infinite time. I was just like I if anything I found myself wanting a trying as hard as I can to slow down in acts 1 and 2 yeah. and trying as hard as I can to hurry up in act 3. Yeah. Because I was like I need to get to the bottom of this. I don't care yeah. about how sad the I don't care about how sad the inn owner is because his you wife murdered, died you got and his I wife got killed. her killed. Yeah. I don't care. He's sad. He's depressed. I don't care. I want to. I want to get to the bottom. I want to know what this was all for. I want to know what it all meant. You know. And they. And it's almost like a slap in the face that they're like, "Yeah, you have. You have all the time in the world. Yeah, you have months, years. Yeah, you literally the so acts one and two take place over the course of like, you know." four or five days, maybe a week. And act three takes place over the course of like three months. Yeah. 
sick, man. It's sick how what they were. Essentially, they they, they, they twisted the knife. Yeah. Essentially, what ends up happening is Magdalene's father, Klaus, is targeted for another murder. Ends up surviving the murder attempt, but is only given a short time to live. And so his daughter, Magdalene, you are tasked with finishing this mural for the Rot House, which is like a town communal space, essentially. It's where the it's where the town council meets. Yeah. And you want to make sure that you give an accurate depiction of Tassing's history. So you are tasked with investigating Tassing's past, which then leads you to be a sort of person of interest to be killed. And you start getting all these threatening notes and stuff. So, so it's really interesting how now you, as you become the target of these threats, you sort of, gradually begin to unwind things and then andreas shows up kind of close to the end on christmas and then the two of you together end up solving andreas had been living as the uh communist lone survivor from disco elise yeah essentially uh, he also he, he doesn't just <laughs> he doesn't just show up he kind of does. Uh, he he emerges from the woods. Yeah, a wild man, <laughs> and you think he's about to kill your. You think he's about to finish the job. Yeah, he's, I think he's about to kill your. That's dad. a little. That's more than just showing up. <laughs> well, to be fair, like he shows up in the scene between Klaus and himself after Magdalene goes to fetch her dad some food, yeah. and then you're still controlling Andreas as well. Like you still just make his dialogue selections and stuff. It's so good that even before he started talking and I realized that I was, that it was Mahler that hunched over and his, his face looks all fucked up that he, he's got like so distinctive face and characterization that you can, you can tell it's him and you're just like, Oh my God. Yeah. He lived. He survived. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's so cool. It's so good. I also really appreciate the kind of juxtaposition where I, it is my personal opinion that I'm not even sure Andreas should have done anything that he did in Act 1 or 2. He shouldn't have. He, he's not good at being a detective. He's not good at anything. That's, he's literally <laughs> part, that's part of this whole thing. He can thing. draw. No, not, well... He can draw. That's <laughs> what, what he does. Yeah. That's his only thing. <laughs> you can make him. You can make him okay at talking or fighting. Uh, but not when, detective work. When you're playing as Magdalene, one you're playing as someone who has lived in this town and is a part of this town, and you're investigating this town that you lived and grew up in, and you have the time to do it, and you're also competent. Yeah. At the yeah. things that you're doing. <laughs> but it, but no, it's you're right. Like Andreas shouldn't have done those things, but he but he knows that. In act three, he's literally like, I didn't make things better by investigating these deaths. I only feel like I made things worse. Because you know, the Abbey burned down anyways, even though he tried to bring the person to justice in Act Two, you know. Brother Piero dies a very short time after the trial in Act One. It's not like he really, you know, and you wrongfully convicted somebody, so you also cut someone else's life short. 
So like Andre, it's not that Andreas isn't cognizant of the fact that he has made things worse in tassing by as a result of his actions, and that's why he has his like mental decline as a result. And the depiction of Andreas's depression and mental decline immaculate. I really appreciate how they address his mental health in this game because as you roll into act two you can recognize that he is a broken man that he has gone through a lot but they don't address it at all until he enters the la- his mind labyrinth and that scene where he is just walking through his mind labyrinth and you see his wife and August, his son, and then he enters into his mind palace as just melancholia. So good. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. The writing is so good. It's so potent. (laughs) And I just really appreciate that they weren't just like, oh, this is, you know, they weren't just overbearing about it. It was just, you can tell he's depressed. You can tell he's lost his passion. He's lost his love of what he does he can tell that he's a lost soul just trying to find his purpose again in life and they don't have to explicitly tell you that they can just show it through the way he's acting he's trying to bury himself into something else so that he can escape from his reality and as a result he ends up meddling in lives he shouldn't and making things worse for other people it's great yeah it it almost (laughs) makes me miss during Act 1, you have the mechanic where you can consult your different Mind Palace characters. Yeah. And it, it almost disappears entirely in Act 2. And there's, you know, obviously the reason is because... They're gone. They're gone. But I, I almost wished you had the option more often to click your little thought bubble and it's just melancholy. You're like, oh, who cares? Yeah. Eh, whatever. <laughs> this probably doesn't matter. <laughs> I imagine you're wondering why I've gathered you here today. The deal is simple. You are going to share all Level Zero Literacy content across all social media platforms that you could possibly imagine. I'm talking Facebook, Twitter, you're going to Instagram us. Until advertisers have no longer assessed me to be a dangerous brand risk. At any rate, you're going to do that right now or I'm going to kill one hostage every hour. Thanks for the help. We truly appreciate you. <sighs> so let's talk about, let's let's talk about the ending a little bit. So the way things end up is Andreas and Magdalene find themselves in the ruins below Tassing, these old Roman ruins, and they find themselves in this old bathhouse sort of thing yeah yeah the the mysterium the mysterium and on the wall is depicted two old roman gods mars and what was the other one it was a nymph right no no the nymph is from the story from Smokey. oh i i thought i thought that was also who was being i don't think so it escapes me right now. Venus? Venus. Yeah, it could it be Venus. Venus. I think it's Mars and Venus. Two uh, old Roman gods 
and it you learn that the thread puller as the person has been addressed this entire time is sister amelie who is this person who's been locked in this room she has visions and her visions are translated through father father thomas and once again the font changes because once you learn that she was the one writing her notes her font changes to the same font that's being used on all the notes and you're like holy crap you just that moment is so potent because all the other times the font changes it's a change in perspective usually due to class or education but here it's due to like a very specific instance of something. And then Father Thomas shows up and, you know, kind of puts Sister Amelie at ease and is like, yeah, I killed all those people, but I did it because I had to protect the souls of the people of Tassing. All right. So here is my, here is my, you don't know who killed those people thing. I, the only thing I think this scene makes clear is he's responsible for the notes getting written and distributed. He is not responsible for the murders, right? I think he actually killed all those people. Really? Because he admits to the death. Uh, he admits to the murder of Father Matthias, yeah. who was the previ- previous. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he does admit to doing that. That is true. Abbott. So I it's I don't think he explicitly states that he killed everyone, but I think it's meant to be very heavily implied that he was directly uh responsible for the murders of the everyone who has died so far in the story. Because I think the only one where he doesn't technically admit to the murder is Otto. He just kind of says that Otto was like in the wrong spot at the wrong time. But he's like, yeah, I use these old Roman underground tunnels to go back and forth so I'm not seen in the city. And that's how I get around to like do these horrible deeds. I I took away from that scene that he definitely was the murderer and attempted murder on your dad. Maybe this was only my interpretation because I suspected Father Matthias by the end of the game. Father Thomas. Sorry, Thomas. I suspected Father Thomas by the end of the game very heavily, and it was confirming what I already thought. Um, but when he emerged and he was, he, you know, there are several lines during that conversation where, you know, they, they talk about like, oh, all those people, you know, um, you, you had to kill them to, or, you know, was it all worth it? And that, seems to indicate to me that he it was it was actually his hand holding the rock that 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 you know I think there is an smack interp- the baron in the head. Yeah. I so, think there is an interpretation though that he didn't necessarily kill all of them. He definitely killed some of those people. My, so my interpretation was he did kill the old father, but I thought my interpretation of it was he was spreading those notes to get those people to kill who he wanted killed. Yeah. And by sending those to them, he was hoping to agitate them. And I thought the intended interpretation was 
you can't know who actually did it, but it may have been one of the suspects. Because- I think that's a fi- I think that's a fine way to interpret it, honestly. I yeah, I really like that interpretation. I just it when I experienced that cutscene, I saw him trying so hard to get someone to do it and then he felt the risk of that book the historia tacite and then he he was just like okay i you know i have to do it myself for all these people's faith is going to be tested so i couldn't get any of these people to do it so i'm just going to do it myself and then act two despite it being not necessarily the most logically possible that the exact same scenario would come up twice. I thought of it as a bit of a style over logic type scenario. And there's definitely a lot. Of, there are definitely a few places of that happening in this game. Because I, I still personally haven't really been able to construct how Andreas goes from his mind palace directly into the Mysterium. Oh yeah, <laughs> that doesn't make like it never makes any lo- like it doesn't make any logical sense from like a how does this happen? It makes sense from a okay, well it makes sense that he unraveled the maze in his mind and it allowed him to s- center himself in the world again, right? But I don't know, it's it's really interesting because they they kind of like lean into the mysticism in the third act a little bit. There's there's definitely some more esoteric elements to the writing right there's not only those but you get little glimpses of characters that don't play into the larger narrative and the way the scenes are constructed make you feel like "Ooh, this might be something to tease at and then it never does or you get like puzzles that you have to piece together and then it's just, you know, it, it doesn't really turn into things. So it's, it seems like in a lot of situations there's stylistic choices to the writing. But I really love the ending of this game because I think Father Thomas cements himself perfectly as an, a, a late antagonist learning of his motives is fascinating. I think his his concern, his full devotion to saving the souls of the people of Tassing, you know, essentially the reason he believes he has to do all these things is he thinks that if the people of Tassing learn that the saints that they believe walked the land that they walk on were actually just the old statues of these Roman gods, then they will lose their faith. They will lose their belief in God because all this time they thought their town was blessed and special because these saints walked here. But actually, that was all a lie. None of it's true. So it's better for them to keep believing the lie than let them know the truth. And he kills himself for it. He literally destroys the Mysterium by bringing it down on top of himself. And it's a multifaceted thing too, right? The things he's defending. Cause like he's defending the souls of the townspeople as he perceives it. He's also trying to defend the only like tourism thing the town has, 
which is Christian pilgrims making their way here to visit the shrine to the saint. And if the legitimacy of that goes away, what does the town slash the abbey have left? And he even believes that his actions are just and that who he still will be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. The fa- you know, God will forgive him for the things that he has done because he has done it in the name of saving the souls of the people of the town. I definitely like Father Thomas, the reveal in the third act, more than I do Sister Amelie. Um, not that I don't like her as the writer of the notes, which I think is pretty wonderful, but Father Thomas, you can see like a through line between his characterization in act one where he's known for telling you kind of nagging you yeah Mahler to come come to church come to God come do pentiment right um it's like he'll do anything to shepherd his flock and then you learn his motivations and it's an extension of that characterization in the first act the thing I found not bad about Amelie but just confusing was that the things you learn about her, not just from Thomas, but from other characters and your own observations, seem to point to her being disabled, physically disabled in some way, some kind of spinal malady that limits mobility like very severely. And and then on top of that, she has this kind of, I don't know if it's like a mania or hallucinations, right? Uh, she's like severely disabled in a lot of ways. And then you learn in the third act, well... She can contort her body to fit through small spaces and zip around town as the as the phantom of the Roman. It's like, well, that's kind of... I don't think that's real. Well, you see... I thought that was Father Thomas. No, yeah. she is there in the Mysterium with you because she, she comes can, down through her grave. Yeah, but you see in the first act, right, on the night that Baron Rothvogel dies... Yeah, that's Thomas. That's Thomas. That's Thomas? Yeah. yeah that's Thomas. Oh, so I had thought that was her no it's father thomas who contorts himself and is quote-unquote the spirit interest that's okay so i must have pretty sure he actually explicitly says that i don't remember if he i don't know well he says that he uses the ruins to yeah. move around and do yeah his that, stuff. That, he does I, do that and i misinterpreted because it seems i i must have just misunderstood the scene i thought the way that she got down into the ruins as well was some sort of weird no, so contortion she, type no, deal. So she has her grave hole. Yeah, because remember, she's and she tells you she she's like, she digs her own grave, and she's actually dug herself straight into the Mysterium because you know it's right under the church. Yeah. And she just believes that she it's her spirit transferring down into there when in reality oh, yeah, she's yeah, just yeah. like, maybe she's just like falling through her grave as she's digging it or whatever. It's pretty interesting because it's it's her her visions and everything and have contorted her worldview so much that she, even though she's just like physically traveled down like one room, she believes she's essentially on another plane of existence. Well, you kind of mirror that as well as Mahler, right? Yeah, exactly. By unraveling sort of your own, where your mind palace comes from, right? How it mirrors the labyrinthian imagery of the church. Yeah. And I'm, then you you spirit yourself away into the Mysterium the same way she does. Yeah, and I believe the church is actually called Our Lady of the Labyrinth, like the church in town. Let's get into our moments. So let's let's break down our one moment. 
buck i think you seem to have a pretty good idea of what yours was earlier so i'll yeah. get into that so my moment is not a particularly affecting story moment but it's where i understood what this game is so my moment is after you break into the library in the first act uh you and and when i say break into the library i mean when you do it at night mm-hmm. and you go to leave and you see matthew and another monk ruger rudeger yeah something like that uh guy with the cool singing voice yeah uh <laughs> it's probably it's probably supposed to be roger or something like that um german he they start making out and you have to make a decision now me being the person i am i'm like i don't think matthew wanted me to see this so i'm gonna try to avoid letting this happen and I'm going to try to wait it out. And Andreas, the incompetent motherfucker, just fucking falls asleep. <laughs> there, There's two guys fucking ten feet from you. And he just nods off. I did the same thing. How? That can't be quiet. That can't be a quiet process. <laughs> no, it has to be, right? Because they can't get caught. Yeah. Well, there's no one there. There's no one even on that side of the entire building based on how it's constructed. Right. I don't know. They I like, think it makes sense that they're trying to be. Matthew literally tackles Rudiger. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't think it, I don't think they're being quiet. <laughs> Tough he, for debate. He fucking he falls asleep. Yeah, but that was when I was like, oh, and then half of your next day is gone. Yeah, half you your waste. next fucking day is gone, and it's like, okay, this is who Andreas is. <laughs> There was a lot of points where I was watching Mason's playthrough and Mason was like, oh, why did he tell them that? Andreas, you're so stupid. And I'm like, Mason, this isn't like your character. This is Andreas. You're playing as Andreas. Like it or not, he's going to take action. They don't necessarily like align with what you're thinking. It might. It, maybe it's just my big brother brain but he would always he just tells people his intentions and gives away so much information that would be better held close to the chest yeah and I'm, i would always just be like you idiot <laughs> don't tell him that <sighs> but it's real. I, I i think it's really interesting because i think in modern video game design there is so much emphasis on the player having so much control over exactly what happens and in this game, I don't want to say it's it's not all taken away from you, but some of your control is given up in the into Andreas so that he can be a more interesting character rather than just a blank slate for the player to, you know, project themselves onto. And I think the game is stronger as a result of that. You can do more with a main character that way. Yeah. Like there's a reason why RPGs from Japan are known for having stronger characterization is because they don't allow that type of choice like that. They start with a character, you go on a journey as the character, or you go on a journey with the character, not as the character, right? And in a way, this game feels like more influenced by 
Eastern styles of role-playing games to me. Certainly not the rest of Obsidian's Western RPG style works. What about you, Mason? What was your one moment? Okay, my one moment. This is Sam's going to know exactly what I'm talking about. My one moment happened during the credits of the game. The surviving members of the town's lives are shown on a timeline. Like and, a big family tree. Yeah, like a big family tree. And I didn't truly grasp the depth and breadth of choice in the game until the final scene when two side characters who were named Apollo and Artemis were burned at the stake. One of them, Artemis is one of them. The other one is one of the men, is like smoke, one of the Smokies men. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. What was, what's Artemis's brother? Apollo. He's not burned at the stake. I'm pretty sure it's Artemis. Thought, I thought it was Artemis because they came off the same branch. It might have. It might have been. At any rate, they get burned at the stake, and I was like, "Why are they?" And then I realized it. Oh, they're pagans because they're named Artemis and Apollo because their mother, who is Ursula, was a pagan because when she was a child, I told her, as Act Two Mahler, to listen to ill peter's religion not catholicism and she did that because in act one i told her a pagan story as (laughs) as a bedtime story i think it takes a good writer to in a a video game sense yeah um, it takes a good writer to give you choices and then show you a, a myriad effects of how those choices affect you i think a truly great writer or a a great a greatly written game because i'm sure there was a team can show you how your effects blossom across the entire cast of characters and i truly felt that in every way for everything i did i would you know i encouraged my friend in act one to not give up on love even though he was an older man and then by act three he had taken a sabbatical from his work and found a wife. And in act one, I told a baby a bedtime story that was pagan. And then her children get 60 years. Her children are pagan heretics from the Catholic church and they get crucified. It's, it's (laughs) the, the, um, the depth that your choices affect the cast of characters is wild and it's it's a truly great decision that they didn't make Mahler a moral upstanding good at everything character he sucks at a lot of the things he tries to do he's he's spinning a lot of plates and trying to hold things together he runs away from his all his problems runs away from his problems he's had things in life that he couldn't fix and now he tries to fix things that he can't in order to make up for it and it allows you to experience you know there's there's some things that you can you can just never get the good ending on right there's some problems you can never fix there's some choices that are going to turn out badly because your character is bad at some of the things he does <laughs> it was such a it, it, such a, a beautiful bow on a on a package that I had been 
rapping over the course of the entire game. And what I, I love, that. what I love is Andreas's coming to terms with things is just to become a normal citizen of Tassing. It's not, I'm going to try to go home and, you know, patch things up with my wife and like try to fix things or, and it's not, I'm going to get back on the path of being an artist. But Andres's final scene is literally just going up on the windmill and drawing and taking time with some children of the town. Cause that's all he wants is to be a part of this town. Cause this is, what he's figured out he needs to do a lot of a lot of andreas is about a lot of what happens to andreas is about his relationship with children is about his influence on younger people right mm, it's yeah, about yeah him losing his son it's about the fact that his apprentice died because of his actions i don't think there's a way to get around that yeah I don't, I don't. If you're mean to him, you can probably convince him to run away. Yeah, that is a thing why, you can do. But I love. But why would you ever be yeah, mean to your yeah, apprentice? Yeah, and and that's that's the most interesting thing is because I was so curious. Every time I was nice to him, you get the choice it, to be remembered. Right? It says this this choice will be remembered, and you're like, and this I'm is like, gonna be good for me. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. And this. The When we he can confirm when I was crawling around in the tunnels and you make Casper go into the the Mysterium room and he comes out and he's and you're like are you okay before you ask about what's in there and it's like this will be remembered I was like oh I just passed a skill check in the future <laughs> no no I've doomed him uh, I really like that the the choices being remembered is not like it's not a skill check it's just a did you influence this well enough to make it happen? Yeah. There is, you know, it's not like Disco Elysium where it's like, oh, well, you've increased your odds or decreased your odds. It's like, it's either will or won't happen based off of the things that you've said. There's no dice rolls. Yeah. There's people, which I think, people who like you help you, people who hate you don't. Yeah, which I think really works for this game specifically because so much of it is about like your relationships and the way that you influence and interact with people. It's also really cool when you get to a check to see like the triple up arrow or the triple down arrow <laughs> and you don't like remember doing it and you're like, it comes back to you like, Oh my God, I punched this guy in the bar fight <laughs> and now he doesn't want to help me because <laughs> I broke his nose. I can't, I can't believe that. So my one moment in this game is in act three, as you are sort of collecting the town's history one of the things that you have to do is go up into the abbey to sort of look around and see what you can find. There is um, essentially a point where you break off from the sisterhood that is taken up in the abbey in the absence of the Benedictines because the Benedictines leave after Act 2, after the library burns down. And you're wandering about and you wander into this room where there was the dance of the dead, this big dance of the dead mural that spreads across the entire room. And you see it in act one for the, the main time you see it. The first time you see it in act one is when you go see brother Piero standing over the body of the Baron. And then you see it again at the end of act one when 
when you're giving your testimony to the judge, quote unquote, and then you don't really see it again. There's no like real reason for you to see it again after that until act three. And as you walk into that room, someone has painted over it with essentially the events of the town. So you see all of the people, all the townsfolk that have died. You see Baron Rothvogel has been integrated into the mural. You see whoever you decided to get killed in act one is in the mural. You see whoever you decided to get killed in act two is in the mural. And then you see Casper and you see Peter in the mural. And you're just like, what? There's, I think for me, that's when I realized, okay, maybe this is Andreas. Maybe Andreas is still alive. But the moment, that moment to me is just so good because it's hard to explain the depictions, the artistic style that's used is so crude and degraded. And you can see like the anguish that was used. I'm not a big fine art person. I'm not really good when it comes to sort of breaking down what a painting is supposed to mean or feel I can appreciate art for what it is but there's something about seeing the depiction of the dance of the dead being painted over with the tragedies of that have happened in Tassing where I could just feel the anguish the sadness of what happened and I was just like wow what an incredible story beat where they didn't have to tell me anything and I could just behold this and it's like so special. And I just really appreciated how they delivered that moment. And it's great because to Magdalene, it doesn't mean anything. She knows that someone painted over the dance of the dead, but she can't really decipher, you know, the exact purpose behind it. Because all a lot of this stuff happened when she was still a very young child. So it's it's great. And I just, I just kind of love the various different ways the game tries to show you different kinds of art at different points. Like when someone is telling a story and you are just now existing in a storybook even more than you already are playing the game. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I love that you can pop out. You kind of pop out and you're just like, oh, I don't remember this person. It's like pop out. This is what they look like. Here's what they look like. Going into this game, I think my biggest recommendation for people that are playing it, if you haven't played at this point, you're still listening, is don't try to absorb all the information because this game will give you lots and lots of information. And it's great to kind of digest it as you're going, but if you try to take it in all at the start, it gets really... I think this is like one of the biggest downsides. It gives a lot of information at you and you can take it very quickly and it can just be like put your hands up it's like oh there's too much stuff going on i'm like i definitely felt that i don't remember a single medieval word yeah I, not a single one i read every definition i don't remember any well of it's them. great that they have a glossary <laughs> for that stuff and i yeah. can appreciate that they want to like they want to prove to you as the player that they did their homework as far as making sure everything felt is accurate as possible 
to the time period, to what was going on, to the politics and everything, but it's not necessary. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is a cool bit of information, but it has like no real bearing on the story. One other thing, one other thing I want to talk about that impressed me so much about this game was actually something they used restraint on, and that is the sound. And Mason, you alluded a little bit to this earlier. I love the sound design in this game because there's only like four songs in the whole thing, four actual like instrumental or, or vocal tracks. And it's in act one when Brother Rutger or when one of the brothers is singing in the chapel, Rutger is singing in the chapel. In act three, there are the songs that the two traveling minstrels play at Christmas. And then there's the song that plays during the presentation of your mur- mural at the end of the game. And that's basically it. There is one more song. Yeah, there's, I, I can think of one more. What was the other one? Rudiger is singing in Act 2. Okay, yeah. I can, when when you get through the Mind Palace in Act 3 and you end up in the Mysterium, there's, and it's yeah. Melancholia and oh, the Big yeah. Fool in the yeah. background, there's a song playing over that. Yeah. But like, so their 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 choice of where they're using instrumentation and vocals is very very selective and allows you to immerse yourself in the world that much more. It's it every soundscape feels very carefully crafted because almost every screen or at least every area of residence has a very different feel to it based off of how they build the soundscape. You know, it reminds me, a, de- a game I recently played was Death Stranding. And it feels a lot like that, where Death Stranding is a little different. There's a big wide soundtrack, but there's no music for a lot of what happens. But there's certain parts of the story, and it's almost like surgical precision the music gets dropped in to perfectly match the mood. And I really love that as a device. And that's not to say that the sound design otherwise lacks, right? Because the ambiance in the outdoors and in the woods where the, uh, the, you know, the, the background sounds subtly change because they're echoing off of the, trees and then you get into town and you hear the people chattering right you go into the farms and you can you can hear people raking over the crops or you can hear like the pigs oinking and things like that there's so much to the sound that gives the game a lot of life yeah outside of the songs which and the songs are they come at the most perfect times oh yeah like exactly where you want like a little bit of a musical break <laughs> from yeah. what you were doing. <laughs> and, and like even in hearing Rudiger sing the, the echo from the inside of oh, the, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's yeah, so can, good. You can tell they actually probably had one guy go into this big recording space and do the recording, do the take. So good. Also, one of the thing I want to circle back to is our discussion on class warfare and how it's resolved very loosely in the third act. Essentially what ends up happening is the 
land is now ruled sort of at a distance by the um, prince bishop prince bishop and the laws are really just as strict if they're as they ever was ever were under the abbey if not stricter but the town has been given this permission to form their own small government to sort of dictate the laws of what goes on inside of the town. So it's really interesting how during the Christmas speech, Big Jorg, who is the son of Peter, says how, says how much better things have gotten because of his father. But you as a player are really left to wonder is like, have things actually improved? Because it doesn't feel like they have. It's just the power has transferred into the hands of someone who isn't like directly over them. So they don't necessarily feel it as much directly, but they still can't go let their pigs just nibble on the grass in the woods. Oh yeah. Yeah, man, that was such a traumatizing scene for me. I was so (laughs) worried about that. Yeah. The game warden. (sighs) So essentially after you explore some Roman ruins, a game warden, uh, confronts you in the woods is like hey is this your pig here uh feasting on the grass of this oh, forest Lord's grass <laughs> and she's like no and he's like all right and then he just shoots the pig and is like but if it is horrible things are going to happen to you better tell it no one to let their pigs or any of their livestock come feast on the things here and it's just like oh my doesn't god help, it doesn't help that they draw the pigs really cute yeah they're cute it's messed up can, can i i want to get your guys's input on something that i've been kind of toying around with in my head as i've been thinking of things to bring up for the podcast it seems to me that there's this sort of dialogue that comes in the game with regards to the class warfare theme where the church every every part of tassing between the abbey and the church and the town is all built on the Roman ruins. And a large part of the third act is this sort of understanding of, or, or trying to form an understanding of what came before. And it seems like there's this distinction being drawn where the townspeople take the things that are more material. They take the, so- the stone and the salt and they say, we could use their tools. They're so well built if we could just get the rust off of them. They take these like very material things and they try and build something on top of them. And then like the, the Abbey, the people in charge, they take these sort of cultural things, right? They, they sort of uh, twist this Venus and Mars thing into a new cultural thing, into... Uh, a sort of bastardized version that they use to rule. I wanted to know if you guys had any thoughts on that because I, I've been thinking about it, but I haven't had I haven't had enough of an insight to be able to crystallize well, it into some some kind of message that I think that. But because it's, well, it makes sense, right? So when you're in a place of privilege, it really boils down to like when you're in a place of privilege, you have the ability to focus on the things that aren't immediately necessary, right? For the people of the tassing, it's necessary. It's incredibly helpful to their, let's be honest, 
fairly miserable lives to be able to revitalize the tools because so many times you see the farmers talk about how much they toil in the fields and how like difficult their lives are in spite of the fact that they work so hard. It really hammers the point home in act two when you go to eat dinner or, you know, lunch or, or supper with the Gertners. And it's like, yeah, we can't, not everyone gets to have bread. We're going to give bread to our guests because they're our guests and we don't want them to think we're poor. So when you're in that situation, you need to focus on the necessities in life, putting food on the table, making your life a little easier, you know, making, improving your quality of life, but improving your quality of life when you already have all of your needs met is just like embracing culture. That is a luxury, right? That is a luxury that the people of Tassing don't get to have because they are so focused in on making sure that they are working at as best of a capacity as they can. And, and that's pretty much the same conclusion I would draw. Like, as soon as you brought this up, I was just thinking of like, it's the hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah. Like people not in the Abbey have to care about what they want right now. They have to live their lives but people in the Abbey can live their lives. There's nothing they have to do, specifically the brothers, the sisters farm and stuff like that. But the brothers, it, it's actually interesting. I would often see the sisters farming, but I'm not sure I ever actually saw a brother working in the Abbey's farm. They have a, they have a garden, right? I don't even yeah, know they, they have, have a, a farm. They have a small garden of herbs and things to well there is natural a remedies. there is a larger field like where the slaughterhouse is oh yeah uh, yeah 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 yeah. Fo- yeah they have like a they have like it's 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 pretty minor yeah but the other thing that's like the thing that i think about with that is it's like what did the people in power have to do to stay in power during this time, right? Like, a lot of it relies on the divine right. So if they can come up with a convincing thing, because, you know, Attilia and Ill Peter remember what the town used to think, what they used to know. But everyone else isn't that old, isn't that knowledgeable, doesn't have access to those things because those things have been taken away from them. And I think, you know, on that note, if you're so busy trying to keep yourself alive, you don't notice these small changes, these different things that happen around you that are you losing some things about what you used to be uh, just because you can't care about it as much. The the thing that got me thinking about it was one of the things that I thought was so excellent, especially about the ending of the game, is that Father Thomas is afraid that if the people find the truth about the Roman culture, that they'll become unfaithful, that they'll give up on... Christianity. Yeah, Christianity. And it's it's not... That's based in reality. That's a true and real fear because the farmers 
dig up pieces of Roman culture all the time and they throw it away because they don't they're like, know what yeah, it is. They're, they're like, oh, this is trash. This is garbage. It's yeah, literally. Like, oh yeah, we know it's Roman stuff, but it's like, uh, you know, it's it's just trash. So they they find the Roman culture, the cultural pieces, and they they throw it away. Yeah, and and he knows the value of it, and so he knows that they're going to continue to dig it up. And but if they know what it is, and they know they've been tossing it because it's just made up garbage. Yeah, literally the 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 reason why Otto gets killed in Act Two is because he believes he's found the head of Saint Moritz. Mm-hmm. But it's actually but he can't read the helmet, right? Which says Mars on it, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the reason why Father Thomas believes he has to kill them kill him is because if he shows all these people this head if he shows these people this head and you know there are people in town that can read there are plenty of you know literate people in town someone's gonna realize and be like oh that's you know that's not right it was just so it's just interesting to me that not only were father thomas's fears ground in reality mm. but they they played with that kind of idea that Tassing is is very really built on the Roman Empire, yeah, and that these people are just sort of playing with the toys, right? The leftovers mm-hmm. of the adults, long you know, long ago. And it'd be very easy for them to turn back to their paganism because they still do their pagan rituals. Yeah. You still see all of them. You still see their pagan rituals for Christ for you know Christmas tide for Yule tide. You still see their pagan rituals of like building these bonfires and having the spooky spirits come around. It's, it's really interesting. Including my favorite spirit, wobbly arms. Yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, any closing thoughts that um, you feel need to be brought up before we wrap things up? The ultimate class trader Werner should have died. Yeah. yeah oh Werner's God, fucking Werner. He's not great. <laughs> I think, Lo- I think Linhart is probably the worst of mm. the class traders. <laughs> Just yeah. because he literally is he, he you know, sleeping with the wives violence. of the other townsfolk <laughs> and he's and tax and like raising his prices yeah. to cause them to but I don't, it yeah. takes it Ver- takes, Werner's it, definitely like a it takes two to tango the yeah. wives aren't innocent there no they're not innocent but well I get no one's really everyone has motives to do things underhand well the main players yeah. right the, the baker the, doesn't but you know yeah. It's it's such a beautiful. I don't know the. I would say, what what a wonderful masterpiece of a game. And this had every this had all the trappings of something I wasn't gonna like going into it, and it's still it's like a ten out of ten game to me. It's so good. It is very all right. good. Well, if you want to play Pentiment, you can find it on Xbox Game Pass for free, always a plus. Or it is also available on Steam. You should definitely check it out. There's lots of interesting things that we didn't get to talk about today because there's a lot to. We didn't even get to Schlau, my yeah. favorite character. <laughs> we didn't. A lot of things. A lot of things we didn't get to sink our teeth into. But I love Schlau. Please, please play Pentiment if you had not. If you didn't take the opportunity for this podcast. Next episode, we will be covering Spirit Fair. Very interesting and unique experience. So if you want to keep up with the games that we're playing, definitely go ahead and start playing that and giving it a shot and thank you all for listening we will see you next time